The Statutes of Liberty, part two of three. Spirituality or supremacy. So this is part two of three of Statutes of Liberty. If you weren't able to read or listen to part one, I encourage you to check it out because that's where I set up uh, the whole three-part series. But as you can probably gather from the title for part two, and all of them really, we're talking about liberties. All law-abiding tax-paying citizens, for the most part, um, have certain baseline liberties. Criminals have liberties too, but that's not really the focus of our conversation for today. Uh, but for decades, Christian Americans have been one of the biggest opponents of LGBT Americans having the right to exercise some of their basic American liberties. But aside from the fact there doesn't really seem to be a legal or constitutional basis for withholding rights from LGBT persons, I don't even think there's a biblical basis for being in opposition of LGBT rights. In part one, I talked quite a bit about the separation of church and state. These institutions aren't so separate and not all religions, excuse me, not all religious traditions are viewed as equal. Um, and I talk about that at length. You can revisit part one to get all of the details kind of concerning some of those points. But here, I'll expand on a second proposition. And it's an important one. Proposition two. For whatever reason, law and policy seem to be the only Christian domains where consideration and perspective taking are no longer important, even though both are critical to being like Jesus. Oh, it's true. I mean, Jesus had this uncanny way of knowing what other people would be thinking and feeling. Um, now, to be fair, he was God in the flesh, so he knew everything. There are lots of references for that in the scriptures, but John 21 verse 17 is certainly a good one. Um, but beyond that, on a leadership level, I think Jesus was great at being considerate and he was good at taking perspective. What's interesting about that in the case of Jesus is him being considerate and taking perspective never once compromised his ability to honor God. Not once. Not a single time. It never compromised his holiness. I think an important principle emerges. You can honor God and be fully devoted to pleasing him while simultaneously being considerate and taking perspective. While these two things might seem to create tension, I'm confident, I'm confident this is the mark of a mature Christian. I think the corollary is true as well. The inability or unwillingness to be considerate or take perspective is the mark of an immature Christian. In case you're wondering, that's not intended to be a slighting remark. Maturity is an important theme throughout the Bible. You can see 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Uh, maturity is an important theme throughout the Bible, and some Christians are more mature than others. That's a central truth to growing in our ability to imitate Jesus. Some people are further along in that journey and some people aren't. 
Um, but this notion of consideration and perspective taking is fundamental, especially considering the diversity of religious views present in America. I mean, the Bible, too, reinforces the importance of these principles. I think about the golden rule, right? Something that's stated directly or indirectly across so many uh, different world religions. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. You can see that in Luke 6, verse 31. You could also see it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Also think about Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. I think about Romans chapter 14. This is verses 16 through 18. It also provides great insight. Listen to this. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. I think far too often Christians in America think having a Christian perspective on things means understanding what the Bible says is right or wrong. But if you're unwilling or unable to stop and take a non-Christian point of view, especially where it's warranted, I don't think you're taking a Christian perspective. Because part of having a Christian perspective is stopping to think how a non-Christian would view something, especially when we're talking about matters of politics, right? Because there are 330 million people who live in America, and many of them aren't Christians. And even among Christians, many, many of them don't believe the same things that you do. I mean, I think the verses I highlighted underscore the notion that you can't really have a Christian perspective on policy, perhaps especially LGBT rights, if you can't engage in perspective taking. I mean, that would be fundamentally impossible to do because that's what Jesus would do. Jesus was great at perspective taking. Jesus was great at considering others. I don't think we can have a Christian perspective or a Christ-like perspective if we can't engage in perspective taking. I mean, I love these verses because uh, the verses I mentioned earlier, they explicitly challenge Christians to treat others how they would like to be treated, consider other people's interest, and honoring God among men by keeping peace. And this is true even when we're interacting with people of different faith traditions and different religious views and so on and so forth. So tell me again why you think being in support of oppressing a group and taking away their rights is the best way to preserve the integrity of the gospel. Tell me again how trying to convince America that law-abiding, tax-paying citizens shouldn't be able to exercise their rights is the best way to be like Jesus. Walk me through the logic on how doing the Christian thing means being in opposition to LGBT persons, being able to exercise their right to marry other adults they want to spend the rest of their lives with. 
You got to explain it to me because it's, it's not connecting. I mean, maybe some examples would help. I think examples are always, you know, good for illustrating a point. Because if we're talking about perspective taking, maybe we need examples that can enhance our perspective, right? Now, in some sects of Buddhism, uh, they believe it's wrong to eat meat. This is based on one of the central principles of their faith. Do no harm. And that includes in interacting with, you know, animals, right? In fact, if it helps with the example, even some Christians believe it's wrong to eat meat. I mean, albeit they usually don't, uh, they usually reserve this belief for themselves rather than imposing it on other Christians and non-Christians. But I mean, even some Christians believe it's wrong to eat meat. Can you imagine a Buddhist person running for president and saying, when I become president, my number one goal will be to go after the food industry and abolish the consumption of meat. We need to honor Buddhist values. And the consumption of meat is a downright abomination. Oh my gosh. So many Americans would utterly hate that. I'm sure even some Buddhists in America who eat meat would hate that. Steak, hamburgers, hot dogs, chicken, fish, all kinds of stuff. Abolishing the consumption of meat would be such a huge disruption uh, to our lives. On a more personal level, most of us would probably say something along the lines of, why is your religion interfering with how I'm allowed to live my life? I never signed up to be Buddhist. So why are you using Buddhism to dictate what I'm allowed to do? These are all important insights, and I think a very fair critique of such a policy. It's a terrible idea, not because there's anything wrong with Buddhism and not because there's anything wrong with vegetarianism, but because it doesn't make sense to take something away from all Americans because of the religious views held by some Americans. Maybe another example would help. Many, many Mormons believe it's wrong to drink coffee. Yes, you read that correctly. Coffee would be out of keeping with many Mormons' religious views. Their religious text describes a diet that will enrich their ability to live a full and spiritually enriching life. And they believe if they adhere to principles in their religious text, they'll run their race without growing weary or faint. So why would you even need coffee, right? That's the school of thought. There are also some concerns about coffee being addictive, uh, which also deters them from consumption. Uh, and say what you will about their health concerns, but I think their observation about coffee's addictiveness are quite reasonable. I think lots, not all, but I do think there are probably a lot of Americans that are probably addicted to coffee and they don't even realize it because it's been years since they've gone more than a few days without it. But if you can be addicted to things like social media or video games, certainly you can be addicted to something like coffee, right? I mean, I digress. But can you imagine someone running for office and saying they uh, plan to abolish coffee? I mean, most of us would say that's insane. Most of us would say, if you think it's wrong to drink coffee, then you shouldn't drink coffee. And I say this as someone who's never had a cup of coffee in my life. 
I don't particularly care if coffee is legal or not because I don't drink it, right? But I don't think religious observance should be the reason for getting rid of it. Remember, we separated church and state, so that will never be a good reason to get rid of anything. There are lots of other reasons that you may say are good arguments, but that can't be one of them. Here's my point. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to be able to engage in perspective taking. Somehow, though, I can't help but feel like a lot of Christians think they show their zeal for their religion and devotion to their religious views by being unwilling to engage in perspective taking. I mean, as I've stated previously, it's entirely possible for something to be out of keeping with your religious views, and you still think people should have liberty to do it if they so choose. I mean, that does bring up one related idea. Um, I've been thinking about this for a while, actually. I'm a little bit concerned about this notion of Christian supremacy. And I'll illustrate my point using the example of white supremacy because that's probably a form of supremacy socio-historically that we're most familiar with in the last 400 years, certainly in the case of America. Um, I don't want to go on a tangent because this is about LGBT rights and not about race, uh, but white supremacy was this insidious notion that White is better in every sense of the word. It's better than being black. It's better than being Asian. It's better than being Hispanic. It's better than being Native American. White is better. It just is. And it's obvious. Um, and not surprisingly, that influenced the behavior of white people 400 years ago. And it admittedly, excuse me, and admittedly, I would still say that influences the behavior of many people across all racial groups uh, in America today. I mean, outside of America as well, but that's, you know, a different conversation. I think Christians in America can subscribe to this idea of Christian supremacy. Christianity is better than being atheist or agnostic. It's better than being a Jehovah Witness. It's better than being a Mormon. It's better than being a Muslim. It's better than being Buddhist and the like. It just is. And it's obvious, right? And again, you may say I'm being dramatic, but I would disagree. It may sting a little, but that doesn't mean my observation isn't accurate. While I don't think, excuse me, while I don't think most American Christians would explicitly say they think they're better than anyone else of any other faith tradition, I think they show it in their behavior, right? Because I think actions speak louder than words. Um, in the way they approach policy, they effectively say, I want my Christian views to have influence over your lifestyle, but I don't want your religious views to have any influence over my lifestyle because I'm a Christian and that's an attack on my religious freedom. Um, okay. So <laughs> how is that not supremacy? Right? I mean, you understand how supremacy works, right? Supremacy is about hierarchy. And hierarchies, by definition, are rank ordering systems. Um, think about the Olympics. This person is number one, right? They came in first place. 
and then this person is number two, and then this person is number three, and so on and so forth. And number one comes before number two. And number two comes before number three. And number three comes before number four. Um, so with your approach to policy, you're basically saying Christians are number one. I can justify people not being allowed to do something because of Christian views because Christians are number one. And Christians shouldn't be required to do anything because of Muslims or Buddhists or Mormons or Jehovah Witness views because they're all number two. And Christians are number one. That's called hierarchy. Number one is at the top of the hierarchy, so number one will always be the most important, right? I have a question for you. And it's something worth thinking about. Do you believe this country belongs more to Christians than it does other Americans? Do you believe this country belongs more to Christians than it does LGBT Americans? If your answer is no, there is zero, zero basis for taking away the rights of law-abiding, tax-paying citizens because of your religious views. There's no basis for it. But if you do believe this country belongs more to Christians than it does other Americans, you have a perfect justification. But that's also called Christian supremacy. I mean, you got to be honest. You got to call it what it is. I mean, I want to unpack this idea a little bit more because I don't want my point to be misunderstood. And I don't think we have conversations like this very often. So I do think it's very easy to be misunderstood. So let's, let's try and bring it in a little bit. Every religion on some level has some elements of rank ordering built in. That is, that's, that is almost every religion on some level has some type of hierarchy where they weigh and prioritize different views, different types of ideas, and sometimes even different people, right? That's almost unavoidable. I mean, for instance, some religions are monotheistic, meaning they worship one deity, and other religions are polytheistic, meaning that they worship multiple deities. So if you participate in a monotheistic religion, like Christianity, for example, you're saying this deity deserves worship and no other deity does. I mean, that's inescapable. That happens in almost every religion. In first century Christianity, making the statement, Jesus is Lord, wasn't just a religious ordinance. That proclamation, wherever it was uttered, denounced other forms of authority and other uh, things of worship, including, but not limited, to Caesar, who was a political figure, religious elites like the Pharisees and Sadducees, and gods that were foreign to Christianity. When you said Jesus is Lord, it meant something, right? That's, that's a form of hierarchy. Jesus and Caesar were not considered equal. Jesus and the Pharisees were not considered equal. Jesus and the Sadducees were not equal. 
I mean, absolutely. There was and is a hierarchy in Christianity. I mean, to be clear, it's not um, a hierarchy that espouses hate or oppression and all that kind of stuff. But it still fits the definition of a hierarchy. It's a rank ordering system. Jesus was and is always number one. That is part of Christianity. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't think Christianity is unique in that regard. Almost every religion I can think of weighs their religious views more than they do outsiders. So in that sense, I don't think hierarchies uh, are necessarily uh, distinguishing qualities for most religions. Because most religions have a system wherein they tend to uh, order and rank different ideas and views and even people. That's kind of how religion works. And Christianity isn't unique in that regard. That seems to be true for most types of religions that I'm familiar with. But the moment you say, I want to take away the rights of other Americans because of the views in my particular faith tradition, uh, that's not just religion anymore. Now you're talking about using your religious views to oppress other groups of Americans. I mean, that's not religion. That's supremacy. I mean, this country doesn't belong more to you than it does the people of all these other uh, religious groups. So this notion that you're entitled to taking people's rights away because you're a Christian or your voice should be louder or carry more weight or should be given more consideration, that's not religion. That's supremacy. It's tricky because it masquerades under the guise of religion, so you probably feel good about that, but it's still supremacy. I mean, I think it's silly to suggest in spite of the diversity of religious views in America, Christians are the only religious group that should be allowed to control what other people are and are not allowed to do. And I feel particularly comfortable saying that as a Christian because the Christianity that I subscribe to says people don't become more or less important in society because of the religious views that they hold. There are 7.6 billion people on the face of the planet. And every single one of them is important to God. So every single one of them needs to be important to me. And they don't become more or less important because they're an atheist or agnostic or, or Muslim or Buddhist or gay or straight, black or white or whatever. Christian supremacy is not Christianity. And I don't think Jesus would have supported any such thing. It makes me think about um, the scripture on loving your neighbor. Um, I mean, for a reference, you can see Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. Um, there's another reference in Mark 12, 31. How do I, and again, this is another question for you. How do I really love my neighbor when I deeply internalize this view that what I think is more important than what my neighbor thinks? Because they're a Mormon and I'm a Christian. 
Can you imagine being in a friendship with someone over the course of 30, 40, 50 years and they expect that anytime there's a disagreement, you'll concede to them because they're going to be right? And you ask them how they know they're always right. And they say, I just have a really good feeling about it. Wouldn't that be weird? I mean, I'm supposed to trust you every time you disagree with me just because you have a really good feeling about it. This is fundamentally absurd. But isn't this so often what religious differences boil down to? Somebody believes in uh, praying to multiple gods and I only pray to one God, Yahweh, but we both have a really good feeling that we're right. And obviously, there's a lot more to practicing a religion than that. But we're both pretty confident about being right. We just have a good feeling about it. But I need to concede to them every single time. This is absolutely ridiculous. In the same way white supremacy will prevent you from loving your neighbor... I think Christian supremacy will prevent you from loving your neighbor too. I don't think you can truly love another adult and expect for them to always concede to your views and opinions. To me, that idea is both unsound and unrealistic. What's even more harmful is it masquerades under the guise of religious devotion when in actuality, It strips people of their agency to make their own decisions, something God himself has never, ever done. That's a whole different conversation. If you can't see why it's ill-advised to advance a particular political idea that oppresses or subordinates other groups, religious or otherwise, just because you think it's good for Christianity... I mean, I really don't know what else to share at this point. I mean, that's my take. Um, You can feel free to weigh in with your thoughts. Um, I'll try and share part three in um, a little bit.